Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I'll be reading Genesis chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. And then we'll pray. And then get into God's word together, okay? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening. And there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, living stock, li uh, living livestock and creeping things, and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God rested, God finished his work from that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you made the earth and everything in it. You are good, Lord, and you do good. We thank you, Father, for this creation that you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, for the great privilege it is to be men and women. Lord, we pray that you would help us to glorify you, that we would see you through the creation that you've given, and that you'd receive all the praise from our lips. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our world is beautiful, isn't it? Who's been to Yosemite before? <coughs> okay, so imagine with me, Picture with me Yosemite's Valley. The sun is setting. The cliffs are aglow with the purple radiance of the sunset as trees blow wistfully in the wind. The river is a perfect reflection of the cotton candy in the sky as gentle brooks bubble in the water in the valley below. Mist from the nearby waterfall brushes your face. And if you could only hear just a little better, you'd hear everything whispering, glory. A few hours later, the sky fades to black at first. But then, with a twinkle, and then finally with a roar, the whole sky becomes ablaze with stars and planets and galaxies. Not just brilliant white, but colors. Red planets, green comets, streaks of blue lightning from the falling stars. This is a glimmer of the tiniest of slivers of the daily, hourly, moment-by-moment spectacle of God's glory in the heavens on earth. How wonderful God's creation is, right? How beautiful he has made it. So yes, our world is good. But have you ever wondered, why did God create the world so good? What was his purpose? Why did he do it? Why do trees smell good? And why are snow-capped mountains beautiful? Why do sunsets over the ocean make us speechless and forests of redwoods and evergreens overwhelm us? Why does good food, good food taste so good? And why does steak and tacos and cake and pizza make our mouths water? Why is the animal world so complex and so interesting? And why are insects so intricate? And why is the marine world so mysterious? And why is the celestial, world, the celestial heavens so big? Why did God create all things good? The key idea for today is that God created all things good so that we would see him, the king of creation. God created all things good so that we would see him, the king of all creation. In other words, creation is a giant arrow, a, a great big neon billboard that points to the goodness and grandness of God. He's made creation so that he would be seen. Like, no, not physically, you can't see God in like a tree or something. But that he would be seen through his creation as the one who made everything good, and that therefore we would know that he is good. 
Romans 1.20, which we read earlier, says that for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, is clearly seen. How? Why? Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. In other words, God made the world so that we would see his invisible perfections. Number one, that he's eternally powerful. Number two, that he is God and not created. In other words, when you see the world, you should think, wow, the one who made all this stuff must be really, really powerful. And when you see this world, you have to think, wow, the one who made this must be somehow even better than the creation that I see in front of my eyes. God did this so that every single person would seek him, would know him, would worship him, would find him. He did it so that every single person would honor him, give thanks, submit to his truth, worship him, serve him, and acknowledge him in all of their ways. He made the world perfect so that we would see his perfections. He created the world so that we would behold him. God made the world so that we would see him, the king of all creation. And we see all of that in our passage today, which is broken down into three stages, three stages of creation week. First, God gave creation form, that's days one through three. Second, God filled creation with life, that days, those are days four through six. And lastly, God rested from creation on day seven. First, let's look at... Uh, Days 1 through 3, God gave creation form. Look at verse 2 with me. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Without form and void basically means that there's no form and nothing there, right? It's like, I don't know, think of like Plato, unformed Plato, has no shape, no function, no purpose, right? And an empty bowl has nothing in it, right? That's how creation was. It was there, there's stuff, but it didn't really have a purpose yet. It was kind of like this amorphous blob of things. And there was nothing inside of creation that was living. So without form and void. Without shape and without stuff. Only darkness, only earth, and only water. But that's not how it would remain. Look at the second part of verse 2. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That means God, the Spirit, was himself close to creation, involved in creation. Although, so that means that God the Father, the one who speaks, and God the Spirit, the one who was who hovering over the face of the waters, are there, right? But what about God the Son? Where's God the Son? Although it doesn't explicitly mention it here, Colossians 1 says that Jesus, God the Son, was involved in creation. It says this, For by Christ all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. That means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were all involved in creation. Who's ever heard the word Trinity before? Trinity? Okay, cool. Trinity basically means three in one and one in three. I can't explain all the details of it, but basically we believe in one God, that one God is of three persons. Each person fully possesses divinity, and yet they're distinct from one another, right? Like God the Father doesn't like morph into God the Son. That's not how it happens, right? They're not, I don't know, Power Rangers or something. The Bible teaches we have one God, three persons, equally God, equally eternal, equally divine, all having the same united purpose and will, forever serving and loving each other. Okay, that doesn't blow your mind, that, that's fine. 
Uh, if it does blow your mind, you can talk to me afterwards, okay? So, from our passage, we learn the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all involved in the beginning, creating the universe. That's the point. All of God is involved in creating all the universe. We'll come back to that later. Okay? But now look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the way this sentence is structured, it means that light came to be immediately. Right? No delay. No hesitation. God speaks. Then it's reality. I don't have a pet here. Who has a pet dog? Okay, so when I had a pet dog at home, and I say, come, guess what happened? Nothing! <laughs> the dog would be like, sit in there, like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're not in charge of me. I mean, I kind of am, but not really, right? My, the dog does not listen, does not obey me. But when God says, let there be light, which does not yet exist, the light leaps up with a bark, with infinite eagerness, ready to do its master's will. Right? So from day one, we see God's creative power. But we also see the power of his word. I can't even get a dog to come to me. The light causes that which does not yet exist to exist simply by speaking. Right? Simply by speaking. This whole chapter, right? God says, stuff happens. God says, mountains jump. God says, the land forms together. It's emphasized over and over again. This God is the one who's worthy to be obeyed. The God of creation is the God who's worthy to be obeyed. Light, darkness, land, seas, mountains, hills, trees, plants, sea creatures, flying creatures, creatures of the earth, all of them obey God. And they come into existence because God wants it. He is the almighty creator. Look at verse 4. And God saw the light was good. God says it was good, it was good many, many times in this passage, right? So we'll actually come back to this a little later, but keep it in your mind. Put on the shelf, God saw that his creation was good. In verse 4, God separated the light from the darkness. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Psalm 139 says to God, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. In other words, God's not afraid of the dark. God doesn't need a nightlight. He named the day and the night, which means he has perfect rulership and ownership over them. It establishes his kingdom, his dominion over all the creation, even from day one. He's the king. He's totally in control. In the end of day one, there's evening and there was morning the first day. Evening signifies the end of the first day. Morning signifies the beginning of a new day. Right? Evening and morning indicate the days of Genesis are actually literal 24-hour days. We talked about this a little bit last week, but as I want to note, these days are not ages. They're not like long, long periods of time that were stretched out. They're literally 24-hour days, just like our days. Now, some people might have like different opinions upon this. Some Christians have tried to argue, no, they're just like you know, long eons. That cannot be true, because when a number appears with the word day, in Hebrew, it always means a 24-hour day, every single time. <clears throat> and when you think about it, a normal day is defined by the revolution of our globe, right? Like you go around all the way, 360. Even if you don't have a sun, you still have a light source somewhere, somehow. And when you turn, you go from light to dark, back to light again, right? One day, even without a sun. So 24-hour little days, that means God created the world in six 24-hour periods. Okay, that was day one. God creates lights. Don't worry, days two and day three are really, really simple, okay? So, 
On days two and day three, God is primarily arranging stuff, rearranging stuff of creation. Oops, I didn't use the whiteboard. Day one is light. Day two is heaven. Look at verse eight with me. Oh, excuse me. On day two, God created expanse between the heavens. He stretched them out, right? And on verse 8, it says, God called the expanse heaven. Isaiah 45 says, God says, I made the earth. I created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens. And I commanded all their host. So it's almost like God puts his hands between all this water and says, okay, water over here, water over there. And in between is this big space, really big space that he calls heaven. Jews understand heaven, the word heaven, to have three parts. First part is roughly like our atmosphere. That's where clouds and birds and airplanes are. Second tier of heaven is where all the planets and stars and galaxies are. So like super big, right? And the third heaven is the abode of God. That's beyond the physical world, totally outside of our reach, right? So first heaven, atmosphere. Second heaven, the stars and the, the galaxies. Third heaven, where God himself lives. That's the space that God is creating on day two. We'll come back to the heavens later, but let's press on to day three. Look at verse nine. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Again, God is rearranging the stuff on the, on the chessboard. He's putting the land together, lifting it up above the surface of the sea, and then puts all the sea around that land, right? Now, what would God do with all this newly, freshly watered land? What's he going to do? Look at verse 11. God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. God's the first gardener. Anyone garden here before? Growing tomatoes and stuff? Okay, a few of us. God is the first gardener. He created the light to give energy to the plants. Then he created the wet ground for the plants to take root. The habitat he made perfectly corresponds to the plants that were going to come. So he has a plan here. He's not like randomly doing stuff, right? He has a plan. And imagine it. Palm trees planted and then a few seconds later, fully mature. Ferns overshadowing the water, grass just covering the plains, jungles popping out of nowhere. Like this is how God creates. In mere seconds, he speaks, creation responds in obedience. Now look at verse 11 with me. There's a special phrase I want to pay attention to. It says, let the earth sprout vegetation, da 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 last few words, each according to its kind. Each according to its kind. This phrase is really important because it's repeated in verse 21, verse 24, and verse 25. Plants, trees, sea creatures, flying birds, earth creatures, creeping creatures, all according to their kind. But what does that, what does that mean? Right? What does that mean? Basically it means this. Trees are not sea creatures. Wow. Oh. Creeping bugs are not fish. Right? Okay. Uh, they're distinct groups. They belong in their own categories. They live, produce, and thrive according to their kind. And just put on the science nerd hat for a little bit. This is why macroevolution is incompatible with the scriptures. You cannot believe that simple things evolved different kinds of things and they can create different kinds of things after that and still believe the Bible says six literal days, 24-hour creation. Right? 
That's because God set up the creation so that things would stay according to their kind. Things do not change from kinds to kinds. A fish cannot become a squirrel. A squirrel cannot become a bird. Okay, to keep going with the science thing just a little bit longer. This doesn't mean that things cannot adapt, right? I think in the beginning, God designed animals so that it would be able to adapt to their environment. So, for example, I don't think that when God created animals, he created a cheetah, a leopard, a cougar, a jaguar, and a lion. I think he created some cat thing, and then over the years, as the cats spread out and became uh, specialized according to their environment, they probably became what we now know as a cheetah, and we now know as a lion, and we now know as a, as a jaguar. Make sense? So cat thing to many different kinds of cat things. But still, not cat thing to fish. Not, <laughs> not, not cat thing to bird, okay? <laughs> um, some people might call this microevolution. That's a fine term if you want to use that. Um, I like to call it adaptability, inherent adaptability that God has put into his creation. But regardless, it's not macroevolution, okay? Things do not change kinds according to... Things do not change kinds because God himself has set the boundaries between those kinds of, of creations. Follow me? Not if you agree, or not if you follow along. If you think too much science, just go, like, so I don't know. Just throw your hands up. Okay, <laughs> too much science. All right, so, so a little bit more. I love science. I think you can be a really good scientist and a very faithful Christian, okay? I think it's totally possible. I studied physics in college. I loved it. I still love it. We should not reject the Bible because science says so. We should reject bad science because bad science rejects the Bible and rejects good reason, okay? God's scriptures are trustworthy and they make better sense of the world than so-called science out there, especially evolution. When you trust the scriptures, you will actually, I promise you, will be a better scientist. Okay, close bracket of science nerding out. Verse 13, there is evening, there is morning, the third day. So, so far, we have life on day one, heaven on day two, uh, what was day three? Uh, the land, bees, and what was on the land? Vegetation, not animals yet. Life. Vegetation, vegetation. Okay. So there's light and darkness. There's a giant expanse above the earth. There's dry earth filled with like you know, all these vegetables and all these plants and stuff. Remember verse 2? What was that phrase? The earth was formless and void. Is the earth still formless? No. Right? There's boundaries now. There's division. There's night and there's day. There's heavens and there's earth. There's land and there's seas. But is it still empty? Yeah. And there's nothing living. Plants don't count because they're not moving and breathing like the Bible talks about with true life, right? So there's nothing alive, not according to the scriptures. There's nothing alive. We still need to fill creation. So God now moves to phase two, days four through six. Day four. On day four, God creates all the celestial bodies to fill the heavens. Look at verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. What's this? This is galaxies and stars and planets and moons and asteroids and comets. In verses 16 to 18, he says that God creates the sun and the moon to shine light upon the earth. And I'm a nerd. I will totally nerd out on astronomy, but I'll content myself with just one riddle, okay? So riddle me this. Are there more grains of sand on the earth or more stars in the sky? 
Think about it. There are more grains of sand on the earth or more stars in the sky. Who thinks sand? Okay, so a few. Who thinks stars? Wow, a lot of people. Okay. So, a group of researchers at the University of Hawaii, of course Hawaii, um, estimates that the earth has 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand. That is 7.5 times 10 to the 18, or 75 with 16 zeros after it. Okay, it's a really big number. Astronomers, or NASA says, that astronomers estimate the universe could contain up to one septillion stars, which is one covered or followed by 24 zeros. No, oh, way more than a million. <laughs> Oh, it's also more than a billion. Uh, Three close, close. Okay. That's just stars. One septillion, that's one with 24 zeros after it. That's just stars. That doesn't include planets, does not include moons, or comets, or asteroids, or black holes, or quasars. I don't even know how to count all those things. So there's definitely more stars than sand. In fact, if, if you trust these numbers, you would need 133,000 Earths to equal to have one grain of sand for every star in the universe. Who made all those? God. In Isaiah 40, God says this. He says, lift up your high, eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all, all one septillion, by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why did God do that? Why did he fill the heavens with all these beautiful things, all these glorious things? Why didn't he just create, like, you know, just one sun and just one moon and just one earth? Because Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In other words, the, the sky shouts, Glory to God in the highest. Praise Him, all creatures of the earth. God created all these things so that we would see Him. We would see Him and be in absolute awe of His power and His might. That the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that they contain is this high and this exalted and this amazing, higher than the highest heaven, greater than the biggest galaxy, the King, the ruler supreme of all creation. And there's evening, and there's morning, the fourth day. Look at verse 20, day 5, look at verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, God is filling his creation. On day four, he filled the heavens. On day five, he fills the seas and the sky. Then I'll go to verse 22. This is different. Verse 22 is different. And God blessed them, blessed the sea creatures and the flying creatures, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. This is the first time creation speaks to living creatures. And what do you expect him to say? What do you expect him to say? It says he blessed them. It says he blessed them. He's, he gave a good word to them. He basically said, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you enablement to do the thing I'm going to tell you to do. Right? 
And what does he tell them to do? Three things. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, which basically means make life. Fill the oceans with tons of fish, lots of salmon and shark and jellyfish. Flood the skies with falcons and the sparrows and, and penguins. Okay, not penguins. Penguins can't fly. <laughs> right? He says, basically, fill my creation with all these things according to your kind. Right? Make my creation no longer void, but now full. Why does he do that? Why does God want his creation full? So that we would see his majesty. So that we would see his majesty. So that every part of creation, every single piece of it, will be filled with life that points to him who is the life giver. That we would marvel at dolphins who play catch with pufferfish and then get drunk on the pufferfish's toxin. That we would marvel at peacock mantis shrimp that can punch so fast it creates an explosion underwater that reaches the temperature of the sun. That we'd marvel at peregrine falcons that can dive faster than 200 miles per hour. They would marvel at alpine swift that can fly for six months straight. They would marvel at octopi that use tools like human that can camouflage with almost anything, that have venom, and that have legs that both taste and think independently, which is really weird. <laughs> all these things in creation, all these amazing animals that we watch on like Nat Geo and Discovery Channel, right? They're meant to point us to the creator, to one who made all these things live and breathe and exist. It's by his understanding that all these things thrive in his world. Why did God create all these things? God created animals so that we would marvel and praise him. And there's evening and there's morning, the fifth day. Now we come to day six. Day six. So the heavens have been filled with the stars, the water's been filled, the sky's been filled. What's next? We did the sea already. What's next? The land. The land. Look, look at verse 24. God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God filled the earth with living creatures. Livestock means like animals that humans domesticate. That's like cattle and sheep and pigs and stuff. Uh, beasts of the earth are like animals we don't domesticate, like lions and tigers and stuff. Uh, creeping things are all the gross stuff like bugs and worms. Okay? But day six doesn't stop there. Now we're at the pinnacle of creation. We're at man. We don't have time to cover this all in detail, so actually in a couple weeks I want to come back to this passage. But let's just walk through it and note a quick few things. First, God made man in his image. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now there's a lot to say about this. But at minimum, it means man is totally unique among creation. He says this about nothing else, right? Humanity has the unique stamp of being like God, somehow and in some way. Secondly, God gave man dominion. Uh, 26 continues, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Dominion means rulership. It means kingship, authority. He says to man, man, you're going to be in charge of everything. Thirdly, God made man male and female. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. He created them. He created them. This means when verse 26 says man, it doesn't mean males only, right? It doesn't mean that males only are in God's image. Man means humanity. 
both male and female, God created in his image. This means there's a distinction between the sexes, and yet a complete equality between them as well, because both are made in the image of God. Fourthly, God blessed man with rulership. Look at verse 28. God blessed them, and he said to them, said to the man and the woman, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. We've heard that before, right? But he keeps going. And subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God wants there to be lots of image bearers across this whole world. So he tells Adam and Eve, multiply, right? But he also adds two more commands. Subdue the earth and have dominion. Subdue the earth and have dominion. Who's the king of all creation? God. Easy, right? But who does God put on the earthly throne? Man and woman. He says, you rule. You subdue. So he makes man and woman little K king and little Q queen. To rule over the creation for him. He's the master. But he's given it to them so that they can manage it for him. He's the owner. They're the caretakers. He's the chief gardener. They're the mini gardeners. He's the king of kings. They're his representatives. They rule for him. They work for him. In other words, God made the world and everything in it, and then he gave it to mankind to take care of it. You know how wonderful the gift that is? God has given creation to us. Fifthly, God provided for man. Look at verse 29. God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. He also says the same thing for the beasts. They have every green plant for food. So God made, to summarize, God made humanity in his image, like him, like God. He gave humanity dominion over everything, every living thing. He made humanity male and female, which means friendship and marriage and cute little babies and all that comes with family. He blessed humanity with a kingdom, literally the whole world, and made them little K-kings and little Q-queens for his sake. And then he gave them every plant in existence for food. All the fruit and vegetables that they can enjoy. But wait. We know actually more now. We know that because man was created last, we can look back at Genesis 1, all the first five days, and we can see from the very beginning that God had man in mind. In day one, God made light, and he separated from the darkness so that man could have days and nights. Light so we can work, and dark so we can sleep. On day two, God created the heavens, and then he filled those heavens on day four with celestial bodies for signs and seasons and years and days and years to give light upon the earth. That means constellations to navigate by, seasons to plant crops by, days and years to mark the passage of time for us. On day three, God gathered the earth together and separated it from the seas so that man would rule over the earth. He brought forth vegetation, plants, fruit, trees as food, tools, shelter, beauty for man to enjoy. And on day five and six, God created the creatures of the sea and of the air and of the earth so that man would rule over them and have dominion. In other words, everything God had made was a present as a gift to us. Who here has a pet? Anyone? Dog? Who has a cat? Maybe like an iguana or something? Or a snake? Turtle. Turtle? Cool. Yeah. 
Turtle, cool chickens. Okay. Now, before you got that pet, I'm willing to guess that most of you probably didn't just say, today I'm going to buy a dog. And then you like buy the dog and now you have a dog, right? You probably prepared in some measure, right? You had to, if you're going to buy a dog, you had to get all supplies. You need a bed, a collar, and a leash, uh, food, and a dog bowl, right? But you also prepared your home. You got rid of all the poisonous plants. You put the expensive stuff on the higher shelves so the dog couldn't mess it up. You got rid of the bowl of M&Ms on the counter because M&Ms are apparently lethal to dogs. You cleaned up all the random toys on the floor so that your puppy wouldn't eat the toy and choke. Right? Why? What was all that preparation for? You're making the world suitable, habitable, ready for your dog. What was God doing the week of creation? He was creating a world suitable for man. He crafted creation to meet all of man's needs. Every single one. When you consider the loving care of God for humanity, the point is not that so we would say, wow, man is really great. Like, we're just like awesome. We're the rulers of the earth. That's not the point, right? The point is to say, wow, God is so kind. God is so generous to us. Look how much he's provided. He's given us literally everything. Psalm 8 says, the psalmist, he says, When I look at your heavens, God, and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in their place, what's man that you would be mindful of him, and the son of man that you would care for him? Compared to the universe, we're dust. We're literally dust. But God still cares for us. The sun and rain, food and shelter, joy and beauty, all these come as gifts from God's hand directly to us so that we would see him. So we would see him in all of his goodness. So when's the last time you thank God simply for being alive, for having breath in your lungs and a beating heart, a meal, a glass of water, a place to sleep at night? All these things are from him, all from his creation. Do you worship him for the good things that he has made and given to you. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. God looks at his creation. It wasn't just good. It was very good. It was perfect. It was pristine. It's exactly how he wanted it. So now we go to phase three. God rested from creation. Day seven is the Sabbath. On the seventh day, God rested from his work. Uh, chapter two, verse three, says, God, So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This sets up the pattern of basically weekends, which I enjoy and I'm very thankful for, for breaks, for us. God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was going and enjoying his creation. But it was good. It was so, so good. So that's creation week. Six days, one day of rest. God blessed it. Our world is beautiful, right? But is it really? The earthquakes in Turkey and Syria now have a death count of 23,000. The war in Ukraine has killed 200,000 soldiers and 40,000 civilians. According to WHO, who... COVID has killed almost 7 million people. 
Families are shattered, violent crimes on the rise, prisons are stuffed to the brim. People make a living for themselves, picking through dumps for food and goods. Children are stolen from their homes and sold as slaves. Little boys and girls are blown up by landmines left, left over from war. Governments are wicked and corrupt. Cancer kills mothers and fathers. Children starve to death. Poverty, disease, and death reign over the earth. And on top of that, we just suffer, right? There's anxieties, there's pressures, there's friendship drama, there's hard homework, people lie to us, they're bitter against us, we fight with our parents, things don't make sense in our world. Is this a good world? How is this good? God made the world perfect, right? But it's not that way anymore. This world is broken, it's corrupted, it is so messed up. We sinned. And we disobeyed this glorious God. He gave us all creation, and we thought, that's not good enough, God. We want to be you. And so for our rebellion, he cursed the earth. That's why the world is broken. It's because God himself cursed creation as a consequence for our sin. And because of it, now creation groans and suffers from that day of cursing all the way to now. We do not live in a perfect world. We live in a corrupted, messed up, evil world. But that's not where our story ends. Turn with me to John chapter 1. It's the last passage we'll look at. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Sound familiar? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He's with God, and yet He is God? Who is this Word? Jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who's this Word made flesh? Who's this Word that is the perfect incarnation of grace and truth? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. He came into creation to redeem it, to make all things new, to finally fix everything that was broken, to finally make everything that is shambles and pieces back to whole. And when he came to earth, he died. He died to make a way for sinners to be forgiven of their sin and be saved. If you've been in this church for a while, you know this gospel, right? You're a sinner. You deserve wrath because of your rebellion against God. But God has provided a Savior, Jesus Christ. He died the penalty. You should have died. You should die. He took the wrath that you deserve for your rebellion against God, the creator of all the universe. And if you believe him, if you trust him, if you say, that's my savior, that's the one who died, what, that's the one who took what I should take, you'll be saved. You'll be made new. You'll become part of his forever kingdom where there'll be no more brokenness, no more sin, no more crying, no more death, no more tears. The first time Jesus came, he made a way for salvation. The second time he comes, and he is coming soon, he will finally restore this world to what it should be. He'll make all things new, perfect, better than perfect, 
once again. That's the future he promises to every Christian. He says, you'll be part of my kingdom. You'll be part of my new creation. I will be the king and you will reign underneath me as little K kings and little Q queens over a perfect universe. You'll enjoy me forever. That's the promise of salvation. That's a paradise better than your wildest dreams. That's a kingdom better than anything you could ever imagine. That's the hope of heaven for Christians. Don't you want to be part of that? If you look around the world, you can see everything's broken, everything's messed up, there's no hope in us fixing it. What is your hope in salvation? If you have a great life in this life, and then die, and miss out on the rest of eternity with God, is that really worth it? Is it really worth it? Christ calls you, God calls you, the Spirit calls you to come to Him. He says, whoever would call upon Jesus Christ, whoever would cry out to Jesus Christ, to be saved, you will be saved. That's a promise. God will never turn away someone who comes to him genuinely. So believe in Christ. Believe that he died in your place for your sins, that he's coming in to make all things new. He's our wonderful creator, the great king of creation. And he wants you to behold him and all that he has made. So come to him. He's the one that deserves all the glory. Let's pray. Father, when we look at the heavens and the work of your hands, the sun, moon, stars, galaxies, and all that you have made, what are we, Lord? What are we? We live just for a little bit, and then we die and return to dust. And yet you care, Lord. You care about man. You made a way of salvation through Jesus Christ, that whoever believed in him would never perish, would not go to hell and suffer what they deserve, but be free, will be forgiven, will be made part of your family, will be brought into your eternal kingdom, will be part of your new creation. Lord, we long for that creation. Help us long for it more and give you thanks and praise, for you are the great king of all creation. We thank you, our Father. Would you be honored? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.